You're listening to a Broadmoor Podcast production. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. In this episode, we are looking back at Pastor Josh Brady's message from Sunday where he dove into and broke down chapter 10 of Romans. In this episode, we talk about extensively the word confession and how it applies to this passage and also discussing a little bit about being sent and who is doing the sending as it relates to this passage. All of that and more in this episode of After the Message. All right, straight face, everybody. Game face. All right, good morning. Welcome to the podcast. Good morning, Neil. Yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, I, I walked in a little late. I really thought Mark was hosting. No, He's in sir. The, uh, it's Neil. It's okay. me. Oh, wow. Because I'm in a different seat. Right. Sorry, Sean. Dr. Sean. Neil Marsh. Okay, so we got, who else here we have? Josh Brady. Sean Selman. Mark Evans. Jordan, too. And, of course, Chase. Hey, and uh, And myself, I'm Neil. Uh, yeah, we're all in different seats today. Mm-hmm. Mike Hate is not here. I got Mike's. I'm in my seat. I like it. So I Jordan, Jordan 2 threw everything off. That was my biggest, not like what I was going to say, but as I walked in, I was like, oh. Who's seat? Like, I know they have signs. This is really Baptist in here. Yeah. If you are in our seat, uh, we're going to throw something at you. There's <laughs> only two people who have assigned seats. Mike Hate and Josh Brady. Yeah, boy. Everybody else. Really comfy Brady sits on the throne. <laughs> <laughs> and Mike, because he's left-handed, has to sit he in the seat. He has to sit at seat. He'll go. Yeah. <laughs> well, how's everybody doing today? Yeah, we're great. Great. Had a had a great Sunday afternoon. It was a lot of fun. Spent some time fishing. Um, and fun, fun, fun fact. On my way here, um, Gideon is going fishing this morning. So we're recording on a Monday morning. School's out. It's President's Day. He's going fishing. And he's loading up fishing stuff. And he's like, Dad, I got my fishing rod. And I was like, great. That's your rod, your tackle box. But where's all of my fishing poles mm. and my uh, tackle box? Oh, I thought you grabbed them yesterday. Still by the lake. <laughs> Still out by the pond. And I was like, oh, man. All right, dude, jump in the truck. Let's go. So we go. And I was fully prepared for them to be gone. Just, you know, we're, we're right next to, to North Old Canton. Uh, and so I was waiting on them to be gone. And so we look. And he was like, Dad, I'm thankful they're all there. It wouldn't be crazy if there was a fish. He goes to reel it in. There's a catfish no. <laughs> on our on our pole that he left in the water fishing with uh, Jack Link's beef jerky. Um, so he caught a catfish. It had to stay all night, but he caught a catfish on Jack Link's beef jerky. And that's my hand still smells like catfish and feels a little bit slimy. That's because what that is. That is okay. what that is. Yeah. I had to park right. and come right in here um, because I was dealing with catfish on the line. <laughs> so did we have a great weekend? Yes, it was awesome. I mean, that's the best setup for the end of your sermon yesterday. It was good. The pond the is filled, uh-huh. baby. <laughs> The Lord has appointed and anointed, so let's go. Uh, well, let's let's actually do go. Hey, why don't you start us off and get us an overview of Romans? Like, I like the transition. We're, yeah, we're over halfway in Romans. Yep. Like chapter ten. Remind us why. Who is this guy that wrote it? What's he writing about? Sure. So, um, anybody jump in uh, at any point? Uh, Apostle Paul. Um, Paul is uh, writing to a church that are struggling with, with two groups of people. You have the Jews and the Gentiles, um, and there's some history right before this letter gets there. Um, all of the Jewish people are kicked out of Rome 
um, because of the the emperor's edict. And so they're out and they spend five years away and then they come back in. And the church that they they were a part of seems to be a little bit different when they return. Um, there's a lot of customs that evidently they were enjoying or a part of that that are a little bit different now. And so there's some tension, um, not necessarily between godliness and worldliness, um, but between one group of followers of Christ and another follower of Christ. And the tension doesn't boil down to what we would call first-tier issues. They all boil down to second and third and fourth-tier issues. Uh, and so what Paul is writing is in, in 16, you know, they didn't do it in chapters, but we get 16 chapters of this, of gospel, because the only thing that can fix the fracture in the church of Rome is the gospel of Christ. Uh, and that's still true today uh, in many of the fra- fractures that we have in our churches. And that's why I think it's such a timely message for Broadmoor uh, and a timely message for, for churches in the world today is the fractures that we have primarily aren't first order issues. They're not about salvation. Um, they're not about um, deity of, of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They're more about preference, um, does, things that make us feel more comfortable, things that our grandparents did. Uh, and so what Paul is saying throughout this entire letter is, I understand those things, but the thing that matters the most is the gospel of Jesus Christ and Christ ruling and reigning in your life and in your heart and through eternity. Um, and so uh, the way that this letter is created, it is really in three stages. Um, you get very gospel-centric uh, section in the first half. Um, so chapters one through eight uh, is about the gospel. Um, and then at the end, you're going to see in chapters 12 through 16, very application-driven teaching. Um, so because of the gospel, do this. Because of the gospel, live this way. Because of the gospel, order your life and your mind and your heart in this manner. Uh, and then where we are now in chapters nine, 10, and 11 it's kind of a, some commentators would say it, it seems like an appendices to the whole letter. And somehow it's found its way into the middle when some people believe it should belong at the end. I think it's beautiful, um, particularly chapter 10 points clearly to Christ. But it's about Israel. Uh, it's about their history of who they were, um, where they are today, and, and, and where they are going to be in the future. And again, um, just to be clear on this podcast, and I hope to be clear on Sunday mornings, when we say Israel, not the land mass in the Middle East. Um, These are God's covenanted people. And what we'll see even when we get into chapter 11 is God's covenanted people isn't just the Hebrew people. It isn't just the the people who become the Jewish nation. Uh, It is going to be Jew and Gentile together um, because the Lord is the Lord over all of them. And so they are grafted in and being part of a future Israel. So a quick question on that then. Is there a point in time which that grafting occurs? Do we know when that Gentiles are brought into it? Is there a specific time? Yeah. Do you mean specifically like you and I would be Gentiles, would be considered Gentiles? Mm -hmm. Um, And I would say specifically, yeah, the the day that we confess our faith in Christ, um, that he is Lord, and we believe that that God raised him from the dead, that, that he is who he says he is. Um, and he's going to do what he says he's going to do. That's that's the moment the spirit of God grafts us into the family of God. Um, but if you're asking for, for time frame yeah, historically, time frame. Yeah. Um, I don't know if there is a time frame that we can say it is on this date, that it ha- like Pentecost. Like, right. I, I don't know if you could say it would be that date. That could be a good date to start to reference. But you have prophecies, what, what Paul is going to mention in chapter 10 about Amos. Right. Uh, and Isaiah speaking of this has always been God's design and heart. It's not like he got halfway through his creation and be like, mm, I'm going to change my mind. This was God's heart from the beginning. And right. this is kind of the wild thing in our chaos. And, and this is where we want to, to measure everything out and make it nice and neat in our own mind. We don't have the mind of God. Although we want to, we, we want to figure him out. Why did he do this? Oh, he must have done this because he wanted us to do this. 
all we have is what he's told us. Uh, and so we have verses in Amos, we have verses in Isaiah, we have verses in most of the minor prophets where his heart is for the nations, all of his creation to come and to know him. And Paul is going to spell out for us what that looks like of a nation that wasn't his, but is now his. And it's not because they did something to do it. It's because he pursued them and loved them well and grafted them in. That's yeah. good. What, would you guys add anything else? I, yeah. I think the statement of like we we like things really nice, neat, and clean, but even if we look through Old Testament, like before Pentecost, you have moments that um, you have in in the best terms a foreigner to God's chosen people that actually responds in faith. Like let's take Rahab. Mm-hmm. Um, um, let's take uh, I think there's some instances where you have some Midianites that actually respond to who God is, and so so. I don't know if there's a like specific date, right. but going all the way back to God's heart from the very beginning, yes, that He be glorified among the nations. That's so right. there's always been this this adding through faith mm-hmm. to God's people, right? right? And so, um, so yeah, but we want we want to say, okay, it happened at this point. Like yes. it's just mm-hmm. we like really it nice clean. and neat. Um, mm. So. That's good. As I look back through notes and stuff from Sunday, um, one of the things right out of the gate you talk about is uh, Paul's talking about the the Jewish people, their zeal or their sincerity. I think, Mark, you were talking about this. This kind of stood out to you. Mm-hmm. What were some of the things you were thinking through? Well, at, I just tried to listen through the eyes of, of somebody who had a very sincere, maybe even emotional experience as a child or even as an adult. And... What I want to make sure we 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 are clear on sincerity is good. I mean, you want to have a sincere faith. The you want to you want to believe deeply. You want it to be in a even. I'm not I'm not all about emotion, but a um, a strong reaction to the power of the gospel. Right. That that's valid. That's a good thing. I think what what we need to be careful though is where did your emotion come from? What were you sincere about? And if you look back at the Jews and even us today, we can become very devout or sincere in religion. We can become very sincere that I want to be a better person, that Mm -hmm. I want to take my kids to Sunday school because they need and deserve it. Um, The billboard that we used to see. Sincerity is not the problem. It is, to your point, is what is the object of your sincere faith? What are you placing your trust in? Um, And if it's in yourself or religion or... Um, being really diligent or disciplined, um, then we're we're sincere about the wrong thing. But to look back on your life and remember that emotional sincere moment—that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Um, you just want to question where was that sincerity placed? Yeah, yeah I, I think that's absolutely right. And and you know the scripture in reference is Paul's opening when we get to chapter ten, and his heart is breaking for his Jewish brothers and sisters because they are very sincerely devoted to religion. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, and effectively, what he'll say throughout the entire uh, the entirety of the remaining chapter is, they know they know the gospel. Somebody's preached it to him. Somebody has shown this to him. Somebody they they understand it. They just reject the Christ that is being preached. Mm-hmm. And so, in essence, and, and I think. When we hear sincerity, our thought, you know, to, could be, "Oh no, I want to be sincerely right." So, so what? So, legitimately, what they were saying is, "I sincerely believe I am good enough to do it on my own." That's right. 
Like all I need is the law. Give me clear boundaries mm-hmm. and I can keep them. Give, give me clear law and I can uphold it. And, and Paul's heart behind it all is you can't. Right. Um, and another thing to note, I think, uh, worth noting in the intro. Um, so Paul, his ministry isn't to the Jewish people, although he's the Jew of Jews. Uh, he, he's the guy who's, who has he's the most educated, been through it all. Like if anybody could boast, he'll write that in letters, it would be him. But his ministry is to Gentiles. That, that's what God has appointed for him. And then there's another apostle um, who, and Peter, who his ministry is to the Jewish people. Uh, and so there, there's kind of this strange mm-hmm. tension that, that lives between those two. There's a point where they get into a fight, which is kind of cool in the New Testament as well, um, over, over some of that Jewish culture, man. Why are you trying to act different? So anyway. I, I think that that's well to bring up, but but to yeah. the point, and I think it is right. If our sincerity is lost on um, on Christ, like like if if we're sincere about anything other than Christ being the Lord, mm-hmm. th- then that is that is cause for concern. And, and we have Jordan too in the room. Jordan lives, eats, sleeps, breathes student ministry here at Broadmoor. Um, and no doubt, this is true across all generations. So, so this is this isn't just for one group. But I would say there's there's probably a primary group that this lives in. It would be in student ministry world. Um, so, Jordan, give us your your expertise, your your thoughts on this matter. <laughs> when you see students and and you being a shepherd over them, um, how do you help them understand in their zealousness? Because they they have it in spades, man. They're just they're full of it. How do you shepherd them the right way to point them to to Christ as opposed to trying harder to be better. Yeah. I think I, I, for me, I start first from the, for the mindset of, I don't think I'll ever get over Paul's writing when I read these. Like every single time he starts the, a passage, a chapter, it's his desire and his heart is for his people. So for yeah. me, right then and there, that's if that's not my heart, then then mm-hmm. I'm doing it wrong. And yeah. so for but me, yeah, for you're you're exactly right. Students and especially middle schoolers that I work with are they you're not gonna find a more honest group of kids. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. they they tell you they wear everything on their sleeve. But it is so important to as Mark was talking about that moment, especially disciple nows, those events, mm-hmm. especially students in the world they live in today is just so emotional. It's mm-hmm. very emotion driven. Like just in, in the, just the interactions I, I see with kids who have a strong faith, who are not necessarily living the wrong way or making mistakes or doing all these things, but just kids these days are so much more emotional mm-hmm. with just all the, the technology and all the distractions they have in their world. It's just even more so than when I was, not that much. I, I wasn't that there. I was their age just a few years ago. But you old, Jordan. You, I, no, I, no, I, I am. I'm getting there. <laughs> you old. But uh, you do. You just see it so much differently nowadays, and it's just so much more accelerated. And so it is finding that moment of, and we'll talk about. I'm sure we'll talk about this in a second. But that inward and outward, yeah. uh, inward belief and outward confession. Yeah. I think for so many of our parents, especially for their for their kids, they are looking for that moment where they get to walk down that aisle one day, mm-hmm. and they can check that box and and live for that moment and, and rest on that moment for the rest of their life. And as you pointed out, it's not a did you, but it is are you. Yes, right. And, and you know, to great point. Uh, and I don't want to ever diminish a moment in time where we can mm-hmm. look back and say, I saw God work. Mm-hmm. And, and we have visible evidences of that, whether that be conviction of the spirit or or a broken and contrite heart or or even moving forward in a church service. Now, we don't have walking the aisle in the New Testament, mm-hmm. but I don't think that's wrong, right? Mm-hmm. But if our whole existence hinges on that moment and not every day confessing faith in Christ and living for his glory, 
then, then that is something to cause concern in us. And so, you know, I'm, I'm so thankful yeah. for how you lead our students, uh, particularly middle schoolers. Um, you know, could could be. We could just be as easy as, oh, yeah, make the emotional decision. We're happy with that, man. I'm thankful you love them on a soul level and you shepherd them really well. Yeah, I appreciate it. Well, and I, I'll say this, too. It's it's not even, it's not just for the kids, too. It's it's myself. Oh, I live sh- for that moment yeah. so much. I, yeah. I think back when I'm having a bad day and I think <laughs> – at least I got that baptism certificate that I can show one day. Like I still got that in the back pocket. That's right. Um, but it's this. I think it's for all of us. Yeah. Well, I think we all live for that moment. We all rest in that sometimes, yeah. and we get comfortable in that. That's right. That's good. Yeah, I, I heard it yesterday in our life group. Um, just so many of our adults resonated with that idea that, and and had somebody even push it forward a little bit to say, you know, we get so consumed with our salvation that we miss the Savior. Mm-hmm. But. Um, a guy in our life group said, I'll push it a step further. Sometimes we get so concerned about someone else's salvation. Mm-hmm. Like even as we go and we, we share the gospel, even in those moments, we need to be concerned with our Savior. Yeah. And because if we're, if we're not careful, we make it about what we can do in their life and not what Jesus can do. And I thought that was such a great, mm-hmm. great moment to go. We can get so consumed with what we do that we actually miss Jesus and we actually cause others to miss Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it was just a really, really neat statement yesterday in life group for adults. Hey, so when you guys look at verse nine and this idea of what this Jordan, you brought up the inward belief, outward confession. What is, what is confession? Like that's a, what does that word actually mean to confess Jesus or to confess? What does that mean? Yeah. We lose, we use it a lot. Yeah. Um, yes. And we use it a lot in different contexts. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's live a life of confession where there's vulnerability and honesty before your brothers and sisters to confess sin. And But then there's the confession that says, I'm confessing that he is Christ, he is Lord, he is Savior. And, and sometimes we, I don't know if maybe we minimize the significance of what we're talking about when we say confess, um, when we flippantly pass it around in so many different contexts. So uh, it's a good question. Um, I don't know that I have... After all that, you didn't... (laughs) No, I think think he's right. He's right on. And and I I would sit there and I would say that when we confess, and I think our mind is, confess is a word that we use when we've made a mistake and, Mm -hmm. and now it's time to be truthful. Right, so so I need to confess my sins. Um, so if you grew up in the the old school yeah. church and you had the ABCs to admit, yeah. believe, and confess, uh, and a lot of times it's it's tell what you did wrong. But reality, what we're doing is is we are digging away all the lie and exposing the truth. And so in our confession, there's no more lies on the table. This is the truth that is. Right. And so yeah. when we see confessing Christ, it is no more lies on the table, and right. this is the truth. This yeah. is. He is the Lord. And so whenever the early church had these confessions, they, they would stand together in unity and they would say these things to say, this is the core truth that we exist under, Jesus is Lord. My, my uh, I've always, to say it is so, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. To, whether that be confession of sin, so I'm saying, I'm saying and I'm agreeing and I'm living in a posture that says, this is what it is. This is so. Um and so in the same way, to say that Christ is Lord. Mm-hmm. So not not just to say words, but to actually say it with your words and your life. That's right. Like, so w- would it be fair would it be fair to say that the confession is it is not a one time thing, but it's an ongoing thing. And I was so for me the, the example would be is 
there are moments in my life where I will forget that I'm not in control. Mm -hmm. And so to confess that Jesus is Lord is a reminder, oh yeah, I'm living in a broken world and broken flesh with an enemy that wants to destroy me. And I, I was, I was an automatic pilot again. I need to confess who is sovereign Mm -hmm. here. That's good. So it's an ongoing, Mm -hmm. not not just for salvation, but for sanctification. Right. I I, I want to take a stab at something. So I'm on the fly. So be patient. Oh boy. Come on. I've grown in something even over the last few months. Um, and I think sometimes it's just the how do you articulate really this? Sure. What do we believe? What do we confess? I think sometimes we we pitch salvation is you're going to hell unless your sins are forgiven. So confess that you need those sins forgiven and ask Jesus to forgive you. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we really pitch salvation as it's all about getting out of trouble, getting out of sin. Mm-hmm. And if you confess that you're a sinner... Yeah, I cheated or lied or whatever, he'll forgive you and you won't go to hell. Yep. When we talk about confession in this context, it's bigger than, and I think it's important that we teach this to our children and to our students. Your confession is deeper than, yes, I lied, I cheated, and I'm a sinner. Mm-hmm. Your confession is, I confess that you are Lord. Lord. You are everything that you said you are. Mm-hmm. Your Savior, your Lord, you're deserving of all glory. My heart is submitted to you. That's the confession. That's right. Not yeah. just that I'm a sinner and I need somebody to get rid of my sin so I don't go to hell. It's your plans, your purposes. I confess that is you are who you are. That's who, what my inside says you are. My heart says, and I submit to you. That's a little different than ABCs and I, I get to get my kid to pray this prayer so he doesn't have sin. Yes, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So just a different nuance that I've really learned even over the last few months and a lot listening to you, Josh, how that needs to be articulated a little differently in my frame. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Man, thank you for sharing that. And I think that's right because you created for me a picture in my mind like you're saying that. And it is our confession that leads us to the mm-hmm. this is the stuff that we've done wrong. That's right. Like like when we say, Lord, look, you you are the king of my life. And then it is, but I need to tell, like, I want to, I want you to be aware and not that he's not aware, but this is good for our soul. These are the things that were in your place, right? These are the things. And, and instead of just feeling badly because somebody told us, uh, you know, don't run that red light and you ran that red light. Oh no, I need to confess that I ran that red light to God before he sends me to hell. <laughs> We've, we, man, we're just scratching the surface of, of the heart of the whole matter. The heart of the whole matter is Jesus is Lord and Maybe in that moment, we didn't care about laws placed or other people's safety, and so now we're the king of our hearts, and we're going to do whatever we want. Nobody's going to tell us any different. That's far cry from feeling convicted because we ran a red light. That's right. Um, and again, we'll, we'll say it again and again, many times the sins that we think are sins are just symptoms of the sin. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if we're only confessing symptoms and you're not confessing the thing that's causing the symptoms, there you go. then you're not in a good spot. And you're not going to be in a good spot. And it's going to continue just to get worse and worse because we're trying to put a Band-Aid on a cancer. Mm-hmm. And so, man, Mark, you, you did great. a great job painting so, the picture for us. Okay, so what is, it, what is the catalyst in us that leads to confession? And what obstacles would keep us from confessing that Jesus, in the moment, Jesus is Lord? This was a question, wasn't it, from somebody? Yeah, yeah I think um, Trey, Trey Clark, great great listener. Thanks, Trey, for Always giving good questions. Um, you just called somebody out. There you go. Look, <laughs> hey man, come on. We I think we had a guy from what Georgia or some yeah. somebody. Yeah, well, Trey, some church member. Um, so catalyst for me, and this, you know, I think it's more simple than complicated. Catalyst is 
if Jesus is Lord. Because if he's not, there's nothing to confess. If I can I come to that conclusion of my suffers at the Holy Spirit inside oh, of me. That's a fantastic question. You have to go back to Romans nine. Um, and and in that there is right. this this tension between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Right. Um, and and I believe I don't believe that that one is 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 greater than the, and greater in the sense of chapter nine is more important than chapter ten. Uh, I believe they're both equally important. Um, but there's a mystery here at play of. You don't come to Christ unless the Father draws you to Christ. Scriptures are very clear in that. So there is something about God awakening your dead heart. This, this idea, um, the old school word that used to be, be used, and, and I feel this often, is this idea of quickening, um, that the Holy Spirit comes and quickens you. Uh, and for us, we're like, what's quickening mean? Well, I think one of the most tangible illustrations of that is your fingernails, right? Or your toenails. But, um, you know, that's kind of gross for a lot of people. Mark Evans yes. hates feet. Yes, um, but, but fingernails. And, and if you have ever uh, had your fingernails, more than likely, they never are a bother to you. They don't hurt you or any uh, – they're not, they're not a part of your everyday. But if you were clipping your fingernails and you clip them too short and you clip it to the quick and the quick is exposed, now everything that you touch – becomes incredibly sensitive and painful. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't, it's not just for a moment. It's for an extended period of time until that fingernail grows over the quick again. And and, in essence, kind of protecting that. So what the spirit does, he comes and quickens our spirit and the things that used to not bother us begin to painfully bother us. The things that, yeah, Yeah. it shows us things that probably we did every day that were never a big deal to us. We didn't even think we're bad. We didn't think we're, we're an offense to God. And now, oh my gosh, I can't believe I even was around that, loved that, did that, and our hearts are broken over that. And the only thing that can do that is the Spirit of God. Mm-hmm. And that would be the catalyst that draws us to Christ as Lord and the confessional lifestyle that follows. So what keeps us from, in those moments, of actually confessing who he is? It's a great question. I think one of the things that I think about is... I'll, Again, we like to put things in our modern context. A lot of times for us, and again, I go back to students, when you talk about confession, there's usually, it is that acknowledgement of something, I've, I've done something wrong, but it's also thinking about what is going to be the response. Usually for a lot of people, confession is guilt-ridden or uh, I'm probably going to receive something because I've confessed this, like in a negative light. Um, like you think of a kid having to confess that they did something to their parents. They're not necessarily confessing because they're like, they know that, hey, I'm probably going to be punished for this in some sort of way. But I think for us, it's that recognition of confession is one of the greatest things we can do. It's one of the greatest things that we're allowed to do to go to the Father in our confession. And then um, I think it's just that 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 that's what keeps me from doing it sometimes. Mm-hmm. I think it's just, again, not that he doesn't know what I've already done, but it is that acknowledgement of I've messed up. And not just that I've messed up, but here's how and here's why and here's how it has affected my relationship with you. Can yeah. I just give a testimony of from me? And, and I don't think this is the only answer to that. But one of the answers is, what do I believe? Mm-hmm. I, I do think it is, I'm all in on the the work of the Spirit to be the first. I mean, he's got to awaken us, and he draws, and he convicts. Mm-hmm. But in that moment, Jordan, like what keeps me from going to him would be, what do I believe about his goodness? What mm-hmm. do I believe about his faithfulness and his grace and his love for me, not that everything's going to turn out okay or it's going to be a perfect life, but do I trust that his goodness and his grace is sufficient for me? Even when I confess, Mm -hmm. even when I acknowledge my posture, is he still safe? Mm -hmm. 
Is he still good? Can That's I still helpful. find comfort in him? Mm-hmm. Not because he's going to fix everything, not because you know he's not going to continue to work to conform me, but he's good, he's faithful, and he's sufficient. And if I don't believe that, that's going to be a roadblock for me that's because I'll continue to hide. Can I build on that? I think yeah. that's a really helpful image you just provided for me. I've discovered over the last several years for me um, in my sanctification that I have the, the same theme. This is where, to me, confession, the definitions kind of blur together mm-hmm. as a practice. That's, that's right. Because I've discovered that I always kind of approach God as I should clean myself up before I come to you because you would never be loving I kind of use more of the, I separate him being, he's only just and not loving. I can't be both. And so I've discovered that's also true in my relationship in my marriage or in my small group or the God is like the practice of, of being known by God, like rather than being cleaned up before I go to him, but the practice of bringing those struggles, those sins, my rebellion to him, we can both look at them together, that he's going to love me right inside of that. That's and the same thing is true perfect. with my, my friendships and marriage, all that kind of stuff is a practice. And when we look at the next generation, I think we'd say we're going to teach the next generation how to do that. It's actually how we model for them. Yes, mm-hmm. right. Talking about it is is one piece, but actually demonstrating so our, our children, our students see us confessing who Jesus is, but also that we also have relationships in which we confess and be known. Mm. I think they go together in that way. Beautiful. Yeah, but it comes down to what we believe about God. That's right. Right? Well, you guys are super mindful and gave really great Christian answers. For me, there there are a lot of times that it – and maybe maybe this speaks to those things, and I'm just, my heart's just not there. I'm not in tune with myself enough to, well, to get there. It's okay. We're here to help Yeah. You. So, uh, you know, for me, what the thing, the biggest milestone, the biggest millstone, I will say, the, the thing that stands there, the impediment of me confessing is pride. Um, yeah. And then pride – breeds to laziness and i think i don't need them i don't i don't i'm fine i'm okay I mean, you guys gave really thoughtful answers mine is well it's the same because you don't believe yeah well you don't you well, think you so are you, enough. you said and i think this is right and, and it, what it boils down to it you are absolutely correct you were saying what i believe about him and for me what i'm saying is my belief about me has yeah. superseded my belief about that's him. him. That's right. Yeah. I don't even consider him. I don't consider his goodness or faithfulness or kindness. It, mm-hmm. It's not even a thought mm-hmm. before me. It is. I'm fine. I'm okay. I don't. I'm, I'm not struggling right now. There's not a crisis going on right now. I'm. I'm a little bit tired. I think I'll. You know, yeah. All of these things. It's more me centric, uh, and and has, in my opinion, has more to do with me than anything to do with him. But I know what it boils down to. You're mm-hmm. absolutely right. It is what do I truly believe about him? For if he were good, I would go. If he were good, then I would I would I would live there and stay. But there's evidently something in me that says I'm better, mm-hmm. or I can fix it faster, right. or I like my version of of my life than the one that he would have for me. But it's yeah. Genesis three all over again. That's yeah. exactly right. That's right. how the enemy works. Yeah, right. Uh, we distort. Y'all are so spiritual. How, y'all. how we view God and each <laughs> other. Great. Um, Can man. I just say a real quick word about confession? Yeah. Again. Um, when you talked about confessing to your brothers, I think that's so key because sometimes, often, he, he created for a relationship. And what brothers do and sisters, what the family does, is God uses that to change our hearts to allow us to understand his goodness. So you said, sometimes I feel like um, God is either just or forgiving. Right. And I play that out in my relationships with people. Mm-hmm. So if that's your belief, what you will do, that's why you hide. That's why I hide. 
because I don't believe that I'm lovable in my sin. And what confessing to brothers does is allow God to model and demonstrate unconditional love so that in the flesh, I am being loved unconditionally, which helps shape my mind. I've been in the um, last couple of weeks I'm with, with my counseling sessions, which have been extremely Great. painful. Mm. Great. Great. But that's what, I mean, sometimes our tendency is, let me fix up my relationship with God and it'll help my relationship with people. Sometimes your relationship with God will grow and be affected because of the way you relate to people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and if you think, I, I can't really get there with people until I get there with God, sometimes you're missing a step where God's saying, let me use your brothers to help you grow mm -hmm. and learn mm -hmm. so that you're in a better a more fulfilling relationship with me and you understand my unconditional love. That's good. That's good. A little plug for small groups. Yeah, and that's great. <laughs> um, and just, uh, you didn't say this, nobody said this, but just as a word of caution, because I think if if left unchecked, we can kind of get there. I know I can. Um, when we talk about confession and confessing to, to one another, a lot of times we can think that the end of confession is just sharing our broken. Yes. Uh, and if all we do is live broken, then we miss the gospel. The gospel doesn't leave us broken. Um, the gospel makes us whole, and it, it allows us to walk in a different, right. holy and healthy way. And I, it is right for us to confess. It's right for us to have as men, other men in your life. It is right for women to have other women in their life that they can confess to. But I think at the core of that confession, we've got to nail it down to more than, hey, this week I struggled here, or I acted out here, or I messed up here. And it boils down to Christ is the Lord as the heart of the confession. And because that's true, this is how my life is going to be different moving forward. Um, that, that's not at all what you guys said. I'm not correcting right. anything said here. But I do know that, that there is a tension that, that lives there in confession to think, okay, well, I must be healthy because I used to not confess, but now I confess. And we think that now because we share dark places in our life with other people, then we must be okay. Um, I think that's that's good, and that's a road that you need to be on. But if all you do is confess your brokenness, but you never move to wholeness, then we've missed the whole point of confession. If, yeah. Yes. It's, if the gospel is the core of that relationship with those brothers, what will happen is, is that that relationship God will use to change your heart, which is where changed behavior comes from. That's right. Right. And so it's not just confession. It's confession that we hope God uses, we pray that God uses to transform That's right. our heart, yeah. which leads to otherwise it's it's just religious deeds. Well, th that's exactly right. And, I, and I, again, I, to, to push back a little bit mm -hmm. in, in a good way, um, I think a lot of times we'll say, well, we want God to change our heart as if we now need to wait for him to do something, even though we know something's wrong. And we know we shouldn't be doing it. We're like, well, God hasn't given me a new desire, so I'm going to just live in it a little bit longer until right. he does that. I think the confession Jesus is Lord is that for us, that in, in that um, accountability then, that if I'm looking at Neil and Neil's looking at me and we confess sin to one another and then we land with Christ as Lord, that should be enough for us to act in holiness because we know right from wrong. Now, our desires may be different. But at the core of our desire is Christ to be Lord. Mm -hmm. And so now the accountability doesn't just come from, well, don't act out that way or don't live that way as if it would be shame and guilt. Mm -hmm. It would be Christ as Lord. And so when we come back to meet together again, it would be, okay, how did you live out Christ as Lord this week? How, how did I? How, how, was, how did he have lordship over that area you confessed? How did I work out my salvation with fear and trembling? Yeah, that's in, in right. Response? Yeah. yeah. Um, Hebrews 10 comes to mind. Like we read that about not forsaking meeting together, but 
in that it says stir one we have to up. stir one another That's up right. toward good works, toward righteousness, and the core of it is being is holding on to the the core of our faith. That's right. right? So holding on to Jesus. And so it's that whole idea of yes, I come together, I confess, but we're all holding on to Jesus mm-hmm. and striving toward making him Lord. Like yeah. so it's just that whole idea of like, yes, he is Lord. Um and so I think don't forget that there's an accountability that also mm-hmm. comes inside of vulnerability. Yeah, that's right. It has to be. Yeah. Mm. Hey, I want to move us to kind of toward the end of, of our passage with the time we have remaining uh, around verse 15, right? We have some really great language here. Um, Jordan, for you, uh, as we were preparing this, the idea of the beautiful feet really resonated with you. You want to talk about the why, why that's important? Yeah, um, which I don't know if it's the same for y'all, but for me, I just get a picture in my mind, and I don't know if everybody had different pictures of what they imagine that person looks like. Is Mark there... has pictures of people with feet all the time. <laughs> um, but I know... <laughs> God, Jordan, I, I, I stole know, it. I know, for me, I know for me personally, um, if I'm not careful, I can very much... Like when I read that, I don't read how beautiful are the feet of those who are on a church staff. Mm. And if I'm not careful, I'll live on that. I'll I'll see myself as that. I'm like, well, I do that. I do that plenty. I do it yeah. Wednesdays, Sundays, and I study for it in between. Yeah. But for me, that's not the picture I get in my head when I read that. I, I get the person that is going down the grocery aisle at Kroger and is able to strike up a conversation with somebody and share the good news with them. And I know for me, I don't always live in that world. I don't live in that. And that's something I know that I need to be better about. But just I, that, that was just something that really resonated with me because I, I, that was not my first inclination to go, this is this is me. This is not how beautiful the feet of Jordan do the middle school associate at Broadmoor. This is how beautiful the feet of, of Jordan, a sinner who's been redeemed by grace. Come yeah, on, the adopted uh-huh. son. Uh-huh. Yeah. Good word. It's a beautiful picture. So a question so, leading up to that verse then is the idea of how are they to preach, proclaim, unless they are sent? Mm-hmm. So the question we got for the for the podcast today was who does the sending in this verse? It's a great question. I th- I think the the core of it is God God sends, um, and and I think the Great Commission is that right. So there is a sending to God into all, the whole world to make disciples. Um, but I also think it is the the responsibility of the local church to send as well. Um, that we we should be ascending people um, in the sense of. Uh, to Jordan's point, um, when you, as you were going, like that Great Commission statement isn't just, all right, now go to Tanzania or go to Haiti or go to uh, Europe, whatever it would be. It's as you were going, as you're going to the grocery store. Um, so it, it is a good question. Um, but I think the question is we are sent. We are sent people um, according to the Great Commission. That's already been done and established. Uh, but I also think the church's responsibility is each and every week to remind our people the way in which we do church, right? So uh, that's a whole nother podcast for a whole nother day. Are we doing church the way that they did church in the first century? That would be a lot of fun to talk about. Um, but the way in which we do church today, everything about what we do should be, we are filling up hopefully empty vessels and you're empty because you've poured yourself out this week. And we're going to fill you up. We're going to fill you up with the word of God. We're going to fill you up with songs of, of hope and grace and mercy. We're going to fill you up with Christian community and accountability and uh, love and encouragement where you're stirred up to, to, to do good works, right? We're going, to, we're going to hopefully, when we say amen and we're walking off of our church campuses on Sunday, you are going absolutely filled into a world that needs everything you have inside of you. 
and then you pour yourself out all week long and you are absolutely gassed before you come back in. And I think in design, now again, you're not going to find a Wednesday night prayer meeting or a Wednesday night meeting in the scripture, but the hope is you have worked so hard between Sunday, whenever you left church, to Wednesday afternoon, you need to pick me up, you need a shot in the arm, you need a, you need a, a God Gatorade, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but you come on a Wednesday night and you receive that, um, and it may not be in the same sense as a Sunday morning, but hopefully you're being filled back up midweek so you can finish the week strong as you head back into the next worship event on the Sunday. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. What else would you say? Great. <laughs> it's interesting because you can do all those things. The first thought I had you were talking about that is you could come to church and do all those things and not be filled with the Holy Spirit and come and check all the boxes. Mm-hmm. I did exactly what you said. And un- unless the Holy Spirit is moving and unless I have a posture of confession in which I'm acknowledging he is Lord in my life and I will, I will be loved by him and do what he is leading me to do, mm-hmm. I can do all those things and completely miss yeah the whole point yeah right certainly can so, do yeah i think <clears throat> so i i think this yes everything we said is true but i think there's so many other things we can gather from this as well mm-hmm. and it's that the gospel needs to we need to people that are constantly we need to be people that are constantly preaching the gospel um so another part of this is that I can imagine from the Jew Gentile view is that Paul's saying this gospel's for everyone. And then they're saying, well, how, how, how are we to know unless somebody tells us? Da, da, da. Mm-hmm. So, because then Paul then goes, you've already been told. And, and it's the whole idea of this gospel is for everyone and needs to be proclaimed to everyone. And it's not really up to us. You might, somebody, when somebody might read this and go, well, God's written off the Jewish people. Right. No. He's still proclaiming the same gospel to mm-hmm. them. And so it's this picture of we have to be a people that go and continue to proclaim never writing anyone off. That's right. Mm. Like never never closing the door to someone. Oh, man. But yeah. instead, hey, we continue to proclaim because this is the message that has always been true. That's right. Um, and because in this, even in the end, he's saying, this is the same message I'm continuing to hold out to you. Like, Mm -hmm. like, so today, if someone is, is Jewish, is of Israel, you know, is, is an Israelite, but they've not embraced Christ. He's, he hasn't written them off. No, He's still holding that beautiful message out to them saying anyone who would come. Mm Mm-hmm. Anyone who would embrace Christ, and so it's uh, so. Yes, everything we said, we got to be a sent people, but not to forget, He hasn't closed off the gospel to anyone. It is it is an mm-hmm. open message that we must proclaim. Yeah. I think it's so, a great word because you 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 made the statement that that we shouldn't write people off. Maybe maybe potentially because of of who they were, what they've done, or or you know, the people they come from. I think also we don't assume. Um, right, and, and sometimes mm-hmm. where right. we live, we assume everybody. Well, they mm-hmm. already know. Everybody knows. Yeah. Um, they 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 yeah. evidently already know, and they already understand. So, what good would yeah. be me sharing the gospel? What this tells us uh-huh. is that we've got to proclaim with our mouth the good news of Jesus Christ, that Christ is Lord, the new coming kingdom. Um, I remember it wasn't just a few weeks back, and you know, again, I've spent my whole 
my whole adult life at least, studying the scriptures and, and for the last uh, little over 10 years preaching as, as kind of a lead pastor preaching each and every week. So I had a chance to sit down with with a Greek New Testament scholar, and we were just sitting there chit-chatting about life and, and about ministry and about um, the, the scriptures. And I asked him a really – I thought I already knew the answer, and, and I think it's still the same, but the way he put it was just great. And he was like, hey – I said, hey, what is the good news of the gospel? Right? So so Greek New Testament guy, you could probably write 42 books on it. What is what is the good news of the gospel? When we say we are coming to preach the good news, what is that good news? And like it was just – he just looked at me. He was like, it's the coming kingdom. I was like, wait, wait that's – no, the good news is Jesus. He goes, that is correct of Jesus' coming kingdom. That is the good news. The, the reason it is good is the place we live now is fading away fast, and, and we are grasping at straws, trying to fix it and make it better, and, and all of it, and we can't. We're powerless over this place, but there's something better coming, some king who is coming, and that's the kingdom that we're living for and looking to. And so I think that is a, a pretty big difference whenever we, we talk about preaching and proclaiming this gospel, and we assume people already know. Uh-huh. Well, I, I think back to Mark's point. They know they don't want to go to hell. Because that's a scary place. It's a hot place. It seems to be pretty miserable. Seemingly from some of the parables, you get thirsty and you don't get any water. Like there, there's some crazy thoughts when we think about hell. But I don't know if, if we accurately, and I don't know if it's why we do this, but, but do we proclaim the kingdom that's coming rightly? And so when people come to faith in Christ, they don't come so so they can get out of something, but they come so so they can get a part of something. Right. I want to be a part of that kingdom work. And then when we understand that and we are a part of advancing the kingdom, what kingdom? Christ's kingdom, the one that's mm-hmm. coming, the one that will never fade, the one that will be yep. better than all things. And so that's the beauty of the gospel. That's and I'm good. thankful we get to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. That's good. Awesome. Hey, let's um, let's end our time a little differently today. I'd like for us to do end time in, uh, in prayer, praying over the listeners in our church. Braddy, would you lead in a closing prayer for us a little yes, differently. Today. I love Neil. Man, I love Neil being a part of this. Curveball, throw it in. I love it. Great. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do love you, and we thank you so much for the honor that it is, um, as we sit in this room, to be shepherds and under-shepherds of this church. Um, I'm thankful, Lord, for the men and the women who make up Broadmoor. Um, I'm thankful for the men and women who are part of your kingdom, who are advancing your kingdom that is coming, that, that is here, that is right now and not yet, Lord. And we we claim that you are our Christ and you are our King. We confess that you are Lord and we believe that you are exactly who your word says that you are. And so we ask now, Father, that you would give us all that we need to live a life that brings you all glory, all honor and praise. Lord, I ask um, grace and peace over our congregation, over the men and women who make up this body. God, give them strength and give them passion. Give them zeal, zeal for Christ and his kingdom as they work, as they go to school, as they live in their marriage and they work with their children and they, they do extracurricular activities, Lord Jesus. We ask that above all things, Lord, that our eyes and hearts would be fixed on you. We love you, Lord, and it's in your name that we pray and all God's people said. Amen. 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 Love you guys. Have a great week. Love you guys. This has been a production of Broadmoor Baptist Church. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with others and don't forget to subscribe. To help us spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe as well. They can find us wherever they prefer to get their podcasts. And if you'd like more information about Broadmoor, please visit our website at broadmoor.org 
or connect with us on your favorite social media platform where we're listed as at my Broadmoor. Thanks for listening.